I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. I'm here today with William Rogers, the CEO of Goodwill in San Francisco. He's talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has spelled disaster for nonprofits that are too big to qualify for the federal Paycheck Protection Program, and how his agency is finding creative ways to cope. Listen to the end to hear the strangest thing he's ever seen donated at a Goodwill. William Rogers, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I know Goodwill, like so many local companies and nonprofits, has been slammed by the COVID-19 pandemic. And I understand that you had too many employees to qualify for a forgivable loan from the Small Business Administration, which caps eight at 500 workers. So what have you done instead? Well, this has been a really difficult time for Goodwill for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I should explain a little bit about how Goodwill works. So there are, Goodwills are, are built, are, are chapters. And so there are 157 different chapters in the United States, and each one is a separate uh, nonprofit or 501c3. And so in San Francisco, we are, um, we have 600 employees. And um, so we are not eligible for um, PPP. And we're different than most nonprofits. Many nonprofits are funded through uh, mostly philanthropic means, foundations, um, corporations, individual donors. And um, we earn about 80% of what we need to operate through our businesses. And uh-huh. so in, in, we had a four-hour period in which to shut down 40 different sites. Wow. And um, in that moment, um, we lost immediately 80% of our income. And what we, what we do, and a lot of people don't know what it is that we do, but the only reason we exist is to help people who are otherwise considered unemployable um, to hire them, train them, and help them get better jobs. So our stores are really both a place to earn revenue to pay folks who are formerly incarcerated, homeless, um, you know, have low education or skill levels, um, we're veterans, you know, immigrants, sort of all sorts of different populations that are considered to be difficult to employ. And we employ those folks. And so the stores become a place for um, um, people to have a job and, and gain work experience, paid work experience. Um, and it's also uh, the way in which we fund, you know, we help pay for those salaries and fund our other programs. So when PPP, when we learned that we were ineligible for PPP, um, it put us in a really difficult position, as it did many other goodwills across the state of California, because um, our our primary funding source was immediately eliminated. And so how have you coped instead? I know you had to furlough uh, many of your employees, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so in San Francisco, of the 600 employees, that we have, we have to furlough 500. Wow. Um, and in the state of California, uh, Goodwill's employ about 14,000 people and 10,000 of those people had to be either laid off or furloughed. Um, so we have switched very quickly to um, online services. So every year in San Francisco, in addition to the people that we employ, we also serve about 3,600 people um, through our career services. And in in our career services, we're doing things like trainings, um, anything from, you know, Google IT certifications to resume writing um, to um, mock interviews, et cetera, to help people get prepared for work. So we have switched all of that now online. 
um, so that um, we are serving uh, the populations that we serve in that way. Now, the challenge there is that many of the folks who we serve are, um, are on the wrong side of the digital divide. So we've talked about the digital divide for years. Um, and so you have to have a stable internet, have to have certain types of equipment in order to do things like Zoom or other things online. And so we're doing a lot both online, but also by phone um, to help people um, get the services that they need. And particularly now when so many people have been uh, laid off or um, lost their jobs in the state of California and in the Bay Area in particular. And given that um, many of those folks are people who were in um, jobs that uh, required lower skill levels, um, our, the work that we're doing now is gonna be really more important than ever as we move into a recovery phase. The, the other thing that we've done is we've um, used our trucks when they were grounded to, um, and our drivers to help deliver meals for um, the San Francisco Food Bank. Um, and uh, we've been doing, um, we've been talking to a lot of folks. I've probably had conversations with senators and assembly members several times a week for the last few weeks, just help to try to help them understand um, what's happening with PPP. And the interesting thing to me is one, um, one senator said to me that the reason that nonprofits were included in that 500 uh, cap is because um, there were a bunch of senators that didn't want to fund Planned Parenthood. And since Planned Parenthood is such a large organization, um, that was one way to do that. But wow. the problem is that that affects folks like Goodwill, but also YMCA's and Boys and Girls Clubs and other large iconic nonprofit organizations that are doing really good work in every, really every community in this country. That's really telling that it was because of Planned Parenthood. Um, what, what's the number that you would like to see for employees um, capped at for nonprofits to get help? Or do you think there should not be a cap? You know, I think, I think, I don't actually think there should be a cap except that um, I think that, um, you know, if you're talking about nonprofit universities or hospitals, et cetera, those are sort of in a different category. But for nonprofits that are um, providing services to the community, um, I think that there shouldn't be a cap because, like, for example, the, the Goodwill in Los Angeles employs 3,400 people. And so to, to, and, and, you know, the majority of those folks are people who would otherwise have, you know, are considered to be difficult to employ. And so, mm -hmm. but what we're really doing is we're fundamentally, when you're, when you're taking a nonprofit that's doing the kind of work that we're doing, and you're basically preventing us from getting PPP or other federal relief, what you're really doing is you're hurting the very people that we're purporting to help, right, as and through things like PPP. So it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a problem. And so I, I do think that, uh, yeah, so that, that's, I, I think, you know, it, it shouldn't be necessarily, it should really be more about type of nonprofit than it is um, about the number of people in the nonprofit. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said earlier, a lot of your employees were formerly homeless or incarcerated, and now they're furloughed. So how are they coping while they're temporarily out of a job? Are you hearing from any of them? Yeah, so one of the, we did something very unusual, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I knew and our organization knew that the people who um, were going to be furloughed um, just because there was no work, the stores were closed, the donation sites were closed, 
Um, you know, th there was really no bridge. They had no bridge from losing employment to, um, to even um, unemployment insurance, right? So what we did is we paid employees for an additional four weeks. So we shut down and everybody was paid for an additional four weeks. And what we did is we then, uh, during that four week period, we helped everybody get onto unemployment insurance so that people had, um, so they had a bridge. And we heard from a, a number of employees who were just so thankful for the fact, you know, one guy wrote and he said, you know, I just got my first apartment with my three daughters and my wife, and I had no idea how I was going to be able to make my first month's payment. And because Goodwill continued to pay us for this four weeks, I was able to make that happen. And with, with unemployment insurance, I will be able to make it. Oh, that's um, great. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it, it was so important and people were so grateful. Um, and we also decided instead of laying off employees, which would mean that you're basically terminating employment, we decided to furlough employees because the other thing that I could just not wrap my head around was uh, taking away people's health insurance in mm -hmm. a pandemic. It yeah. just didn't make any sense, particularly because the people who we serve are people who are more at risk for things like diabetes and hypertension and asthma, things that are sort of comorbidity factors for complications with COVID. So, I, um, so what we did is we furloughed so that they were still employees, but they were also still eligible for unemployment insurance because they were furloughed. And then what we did is we um, started a fund and our, actually our, the chair of our board, who is an amazing guy, um, he was, all, he was super excited about the notion that we could start a fund for our employees to help pay for health insurance. And so what he did is he personally wrote a check for $100,000 to start the fund. And, um, and then we went about raising money and we have been able to raise enough money um, to cover people's health insurance through this entire time and until um, employees are able to come back to work. So wow. it's been, um, it's just been really important. It was really important to us to make sure that, that folks still had health insurance as well. I'll be back with William Rogers. I'm Heather Knight and I'm back with William Rogers, the CEO of Goodwill in San Francisco. Um, shifting gears, I know a lot of listeners think of Goodwill as being the place where you take stuff that you don't want <laughs> anymore. Um, and I understand that you've seen a big increase in donation dumping because people are home and sheltering in place and finally doing a lot of spring cleaning and getting rid of stuff that they maybe haven't seen in years in the backs of their closets. Um, but you don't necessarily have anywhere to sell that right now or anything to do with it. So um, can you kind of describe that phenomenon and how you're coping? Sure. So um, we... You know, there was initially, there was, there was definitely some dumping happening. And what people were doing is they were dumping things at the sites. And the problem with that is, is that it doesn't actually go to what people want it to go to, right? It's not actually helping to employ people. It's not helping to further the mission. Um, and fundamentally, you know, people go through those items on the street and they get strewn all over the street. So it was, it was really not a good situation. And so we put out a number of different pleas to folks to just say things like, you know, when you if you're if you're getting something from Amazon or something delivered to your house, for example, can you take that box, put the stuff that you want to donate um, into it, shove it aside for a minute, and just hang on until we can reopen because we want to make sure that the items get reused. Um, 
And so um, a lot of people really healed it, you know, sort of heard that message and were incredibly awesome. And, and the dumping actually decreased, which was great. The other thing that we did is we had people going around and actually picking up those donations that had been dumped um, just because we didn't want there to be a public nuisance, nor did we want, um, you know, other people to get the idea that, that that was something that we wanted to have happen. So we took all of those donations back. Some of them were unusable, unfortunately, so they had to be, um, uh, you know, discarded, which was really unfortunate because um, we hate to do that. Um, the other, but, but for some others, they were fine. And so what we did is we put them into um, a certain part of the warehouse where they could sort of um, sit isolated for um, several days and then, um, and then we would deal with those donations. So luckily in the last uh, two weeks now, it's almost been two weeks, um, we have reopened um, a number of our donation sites. And so that has allowed um, us to, uh, to start taking donations again. And what's been fascinating about that is I think the first, the first day we had something like 700 donor transactions. Um, and we hadn't even really publicized it. <laughs> <laughs> people really wanted you to open again. <laughs> oh yeah, and people were really just like, get the, cause you know, you know what happens like when you, when you finally clean something out, you're like, now get it out of my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just want it out. So I think that people were like, okay, we're gonna hang here for a minute, but <laughs> if you open, we gotta get this out of my house. So, so we've had um, really a tremendous number of donations. And, and honestly, it's one of the things one of the reasons I work at Goodwill and one of the reasons I love Goodwill so much is that the entire community participates, right? I mean, it's not just, it's like all, all the residents and community members, they're like taking the stuff that they no longer need or want and they're donating it to Goodwill. And then that's creating sort of the supply for a business. And those businesses employ people who would otherwise be difficult to employ. And it also saves the environment as well, right? I mean, we're, we're diverting just in our goodwill about 35 million pounds from the landfill every year. So it's, wow. it's so good for everybody. And it's a, it's, it, it doesn't work unless the entire community participates. And it's one of the things that I love about it. So honestly, the, the long lines and, you know, I, I felt sorry for some of the folks who were waiting in, you know, 75 person lines just to donate their stuff, but <laughs> they did it and they were cheerful. And um, we, and we, appreciate it so much because what it allows us to do, it's going to allow us to wrap back up um, more quickly. I also wanted to ask you what you think of the Marie Kondo effect, because I know places like Goodwill, even before the pandemic, were getting a lot of donations from people who were clearing out their homes because they were getting rid of things that don't spark joy. <laughs> but I know that maybe that was an over overload for Goodwill. So what you think of that phenomenon? You know, I thought it was great, honestly. I mean, I, I, I do subscribe to um, the philosophy that if it's not bringing the joy anymore, um, letting it go um, and having somebody else have it spark joy in somebody else's life is great. Um, our donations went up during that time by almost 30%. Um, wow. And, and was consistently so for probably consistently, consistently, sorry, consistently so for probably um, uh, four or five months. So um, it's been, uh, I, I, thought it, I thought it was awesome. And, um, and I just appreciate everybody donating. And um, yeah, I just appreciate everybody sort of cleaning out their closets and donating. And, 
and again, um, allowing the item that no longer sparks joy in their life to spark joy in someone else's. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Well, you've survived the serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. These might be harder. Who knows? <laughs> Some people say they are. <laughs> Where is your favorite place to get a burrito? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, actually, I'm, you're going to be disappointed because it's, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's actually uh, not in the city. It's um, Picante uh -huh. um, in Berkeley um, off on 6th Street. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? God, that's a great question. You know, as somebody who had, uh, my kids are 18 and 20, and uh, I only got to watch for so many years the uh, the <laughs> all of the all of the kids movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would uh, favorite movie filmed in San Francisco. You know what? That's that's a hard question. I don't know. Okay, um, the correct answer is "So I Married an Axe Murderer," but got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's okay. Hitchcock. There's Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Doubtfire! Well, actually, <laughs> I loved Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. <laughs> Yes, okay. that's, that's that would be per that's perfect. Yes. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> Where is your favorite place to get a stiff drink? Well, you know, I am God. I'm I'm just going to be disappointing you this whole time. <laughs> so I am I am um someone who has never acquired a taste for alcohol, and I try, and my friends still <laughs> try, and I still try. Um, like literally, you know, they'll be like, "Oh, you know, have this glass of wine." I'm like, you know. Just give me a little bit because I'm probably going to think it tastes terrible. And every time it thinks it tastes terrible. So um, I have, uh, I don't have a place to go for stiff drinks. Okay. I, I, I realize I'm being so disappointed. <laughs> you can redeem yourself. What was your first concert? My, oh, my first concert was actually a Who concert. Okay. Yeah. What was the last book you read? The last book I read was... Um, White Fragility. Oh, I've heard that's a good one. Yeah, it is. What is the strangest thing you've ever seen donated at a Goodwill? <laughs> um, is this a family show? <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think the most, I think the one, one, I mean, look, there are crazy things that get, I mean, <laughs> there are like, you know, I mean, you would, it's, it's unbelievable. But I, I, I will never forget, there was a, um, a, a woman in the warehouse, she came to me and she said, oh, look at these, these are really beautiful. Maybe these should go to e-commerce. And so I opened the box and I actually started laughing and she goes, what's so funny? And I said, well, do you know what these are? And she said, no. And I said, well, she goes, but look at the glass, it's beautiful. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're glass dildos. Wow. That's amazing. So yeah, that, that was that was one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a related question. Have you ever seen a real treasure donated that you didn't understand why someone would want to get rid of? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting because um we've had folks who have donated um just like like one guy donated um this beautiful uh Chinese vase that um that uh wound up actually selling for over eight thousand dollars oh my gosh um and um and you know but from his perspective he was like you know this has been something you know that had been in his family and 
he wanted to um, he wanted somebody else to be able to really enjoy it, and he also wanted to support the charity. Um, so people people donate amazing things all the time, and I think sometimes people are like, well, if I donate my nice thing, you know, will it will it garner the value? And it really does because we have multiple channels. We can we have an online um, Goodwill store, right? And we have you know in store stuff. So yeah, people have donated all sorts of beautiful things, and honestly, I've donated things that some people are like, are you crazy to get rid of those? But, you know, it, it really is that thing where, you know, we're all just stewards of things. Mm-hmm. And, and at that moment when it, no longer, um, when it no longer sparks joy or speaks to us in the same way, we're ready to sort of let it go. Um, it, it, it's, I'm sure it's hard for lots of people to understand that. But the cool thing is, is that then the, the person who is looking for a treasure um, they they get to find it. And that's, you know, a, a large part of our customer base are our treasure seekers, right? Who are looking yeah. for that one treasure um, that just lights up their life. And so, um, yeah. So, no, there's been a ton of things that people have given away that I'm like, wow. But I, told, I also understand it because I've done the same. Yeah. What does Goodwill do with donations it can't use? Do you secretly dump things outside the Salvation Army? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, we, um, well, we, we do, we have a bunch of different channels. So literally at every step of the way, we do everything possible. So unless it's broken or otherwise like horribly stained or whatever the case is, we, we always have a channel through which to, um, to to move the donation to the next level and so you know it's anything from you know like like i said we have uh we have an aftermarket we have an outlet we have um you know we're we donate clothing to um folks who are looking for jobs we you know sort of do everything that we can to make sure that that those items get used and then for the things that are are um are broken or otherwise unusable like we've been working, for example, with um, some innovators to look at how do we recycle textiles um, so that you can sort of like, there's all this technology now where you can take um, a, a polyester and a cotton shirt and you can separate the polyester and the cotton and then use each as virgin fiber to make something new, right? So we're okay. exploring all these ways to make sure that as much as possible stays out of the landfill. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? God, that, you know, honestly, before COVID, it was a hub. <laughs> yeah, that was nice when we could do that. <laughs> um, so now, um, but a friend of mine um, got me um, a, a a little, like, uh, I don't know, thing where I can make, where I can make uh, a matcha latte. And so um, every day now, and actually just before this, whenever I want to relax or I want to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm, uh, just sort of chill. I, I have a matcha latte and I am like um, the happiest dude in the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you to William Rogers for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.